1 Samuel chapter number 4, we begin to read, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel, Samuel being the man of God, the prophet of God. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. Someone that you are against is your opponent. The young people in this church and Christian school will play other schools and they'll say, who are you playing against today? And uh, God's people have always had an enemy. And in this story that we're looking at here, 1 Samuel chapter 4, the enemy of God's people are the Philistines. So they're going against their enemy, the Philistines, to battle and pitch beside Ebenezer in the, and the Philistines pitched in Aphak. So here they are, these two nations are there and God's people representing God and goodness and the Philistines representing uh, Satan and the devil, the enemy of God. And sometimes we have a legitimate physical adversary. Uh, you remember Nehemiah building the wall? Sanballat and Tobiah, real men standing up against him, right? It's not fun when that happens, when you get a physical attack. But can I say this to you? We always have a spiritual adversary. Every one of us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual battle going on. For you, for your family, for this church, there's always an adversary. And uh, you know what? We need to be careful. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Are you aware of your adversary tonight? He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. If one person walked out back tonight and there was a literal lion in the parking lot. And they came running back in and pulled the door shut and said, there is a lion outside. I don't think we would just stroll to our cars. Some of us say I'd be sleeping at the church tonight until they caught that lion, especially if you parked far across the parking lot, right? We would be sober. We would be vigilant. And we need to be the same way concerning the devil and his attack on our family. So here's this uh, attack against God's people. Notice this. And the Philistines... Verse 2, put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. The enemy attacked God's people. And on this particular day, God's people lost. And there's 4,000 dead. Can I say this to you, church? This was not supposed to happen. Evil was not supposed to triumph over good, and evil is never supposed to triumph over good. Because we know this, 1 John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the enemy, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If our God is greater, then why would we suffer defeat to the devil and to his attacks? And this should have never happened. It's never God's will for his children to be defeated by the enemy. So on this day, God's people, Israel, they fell to the Philistines. And verse three, and when the people were come up into the camp, the elders of Israel said, wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Now you have to realize we read the Bible and we just kind of detach ourselves. This was a real day. Real people. Their hearts are broken. 4,000 of their people are gone. And they looked at each other and they said this, notice, why 
Or wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? You know, they had a, enough spiritual sense to recognize that their success and failures ultimately were determined by God and not man. They didn't say, how did we lose to the Philistines? They did, but they knew. They said, why did God allow this to happen? And they saw God in this, and they saw the spiritual above the human. And their defeat realized, caused them to realize in a greater way that they needed God. Notice what they say in verse 3 uh, and the end of the verse. This is what we need to do. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. The ark in God's day, in the Bible days, signified the presence of God. They lost this battle. 4,000 are gone. How in the world did this happen? How did God allow this to happen? We need to get the ark of God. We need the presence of God in our midst. You remember the ark? It was roughly four feet long and two feet wide, two feet high. On the top of it, there was a lid called the mercy seat. The cherubims were on each side with the wings coming towards each other in the middle. Inside, you remember Aaron's bud, Aaron's rod that budded and the Ten Commandments, right? And the manna was in there. They carried it with staves, with those, those wooden uh, handles that went out on both sides. This ark, when it was there in their presence, to them, it, it signified God being with them. And as they lost this battle, they said, how did this happen? Why did this happen? They knew this. We need God. Church, listen to me. You need God. Mom, you need God. Dad, you need God. Teenager, you need God. Wife, you need God. Husband, you need God. Children, you need God. And so what do they do? So the people sent to Shiloh, verse 4, that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, which were not good guys, we'll talk about that later, were there with the ark of the covenant, verse 5. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, get this, so that the earth rang again. Boy, they brought that ark in, and it was like a revival. And they started to shout, we have God. We have the presence of God. Our God is with us again. And the children of Israel shouting so loud, it says the earth rang out as they were excited to again have God with them. And it was a beautiful thing. And notice what happens in our story. And when the Philistines, verse 6, heard the noise of the shout, they said, what meaneth the noise of this, uh, 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 of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? Why are they shouting? And they understood. Someone told them that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. And the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, woe unto us. We're in trouble. For there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Woe unto us. The children of Israel, the children of the Philistines, you know what? They heard the shout and they found out the ark was there and they said, man, now they have God with them and it scared them. 
They knew that they could not defeat someone who had God on their side. Amen. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And now God's people have God's presence with them. And uh, the Egyptians view themselves and know now we're in trouble. We're the underdogs. Look, if you would, verse number eight. Woe unto us. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. You see, even the heathen knew of God's power. And you remember back with Moses, all the plagues that came. They're like, you can't stand against this God. We're in trouble. Yes, we beat them. 4,000 of them died, but they didn't have God on their side at that time. They didn't have the presence of God in the camp. And now they do, and we are in a bad place. We are the underdogs. So the Philistine generals had to go out and talk to their men. I enjoy sports. I know your pastor enjoys sports, and many of you. Sometimes you have an opposition, a team that you're playing against, and you're like major, major underdogs. Sometimes it's so bad that you know we're not going to win this game. But as a coach, you can't walk in and say, guys, we're not going to win this game. You walk in there and you say, anything can happen if we play on our best and you never know what will do. And we need to go out there and we need to fight. That's exactly what these Philistine generals did. They're like, no, 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 we're no match for these people now. They have the presence of God in their camp. Notice what they say in verse 9. Be strong. Soldiers, these are the Philistine generals, right? Be strong, quit yourselves like men. Act like men, guys. Hey, you don't have to tell guys to man up when they're not afraid, right? And he's telling them, we are in trouble. We understand the shout. We heard it too. They have God. Yes, the same God that delivered Moses and all these plagues. But listen, we need to go out there and fight, O ye Philistines, verse 9, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews. You don't want to serve them, do you? as they have been to you. Quit ye like men, act like men, get out there and just go do your best. And the Philistines fought. And Israel was smitten? Wait, wait. I understand they lost 4,000, but they didn't have the presence of God. They didn't have the ark. But now they do. And with the presence of God, they're not supposed to lose. And they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel, not 4,000, but 30,000 footmen. 30,000. Battle won. We, 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 we were shocked by that. 4,000 dead, but we get it. We didn't have the presence of God like we needed. But now we have God. And we've just lost 30,000 men. And Israel is shocked and the Philistines are shocked. I mean, we thought this God of yours would deliver you like he delivered them out of Egypt. The Israelites thought, surely if we had God's presence, we're going to win. But they lost. And to make matters worse, notice this, verse 11. And the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. We don't have time to preach tonight, but that was prophesied in chapter 2 and verse 34, that they would both die in one day because they were evil. And by the way, every word of God will come to pass. Amen. So here it is. Now the ark's gone. 
You talk about a heavy day. You talk about a bad day. Now, not just 4,000, there's 34,000 dead. And what was sacred to us has been taken away. And the priest's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have died. Israel's devastated. They're shocked. The rest of the chapter just kind of gets worse. Eli, he winds up dying. Remember, he fell backward when he heard the ark was taken. Hophni is dead. Phinehas is dead. Phineas' wife dies, giving birth to a child that they name Ichabod. The glory hath departed. We see that in verse 21. In chapter 5 and 6, we read that the Philistines who have taken the ark of God are actually cursed because they have it. They put the ark in the presence of their god, Dagon. As a little boy, I always remember, I love that story. They put the ark in the house where their god Dagon was, and he fell over. You remember that? I was like, yes. They stood him back up, and the next day he fell over again, and like his arms broke off and all that. I'm like, yes, our god is greater. But they're like, no, this ark, since we have it, now our god is broken. And then the Lord smote them with illness. You know the story. We'll just leave it there, all right? They were sick. They were hurting, right? And uh, their God had fallen, and, and they're plagued with illness. And then we have some people that actually, the Philistines, looked inside the ark, and they died. So if you're the Philistines, you're like, man, we don't want this thing anymore. Ever since we've stolen this ark away, it's been bad news for us. So this is what they said. We're going to send it back. And they did just that. Notice, if you would, verse 21 of chapter 6. And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjith Jerem. Did you ever think you want something just to find out you didn't really want it? Right? And that's what happened. They're like, let's send this thing back. The Philistines have brought again, verse 21, the ark of the Lord. They don't want this thing again. Come ye down and fetch it up to you. And the men of Kirjith Jerem came and fetched up the ark, we're in chapter 7, verse 1, and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So now the Israelites have the ark back. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjith Jerem that the time was long. Some time goes by in our story, 20 years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Hey, this is a bad time for God's people. They had suffered the defeat of 4,000. They had just suffered the defeat of uh, uh, 30,000. They have not had the presence of God. It's just been a low time. And now the ark comes back. And Samuel addresses God's people. And Samuel actually gives us the reason for their defeat. Well, how did we lose when we had God? And here's our message, church. Look at verse 3. And Samuel spake unto the house of Israel, saying, If ye do, return unto the Lord with all your hearts. This is what he said. Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord. 
and serve him only. Notice, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Samuel said, if you want to win, you need to get rid of your sin. And for them, it was false gods. And you need to return to God and he will give you the victory. You see, when they had the first battle, there was the absence of God's presence in their life. Signified by the ark. And because there was the absence of God's presence, they lost. The second battle, they then had the presence of the ark. But church, they also had the presence of their sin. If we don't have God, we lose. If we have God's presence, but also have the presence of sin, guess what? We lose. And that is exactly why they lost. And Samuel says to God's people, if you want to have victory, families, if you want to have victory, marriages, if you want to have victory, parents, if you want to have victory, Church, if you want to have victory, you must have the presence of God and the absence of sin. What Samuel said is this, presence and absence equals victory. Absence, no God, surely you'll go down. Presence of God and presence, you'll be defeated. But presence and absence leads to victory. Sadly, many Christians today live with an acceptance of sin in their life rather than an absence of sin in their life. And I love this story. Samuel said, if you want victory, here's how you have it. And then notice what they do. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. Isn't that a beautiful verse? The Israelites listened to God's man and God's word and put away their sin. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And I love this. Hey, can I tell you, church only helps you if you do what is preached from the word of God. And Samuel came, he said, here's the problem. Yeah, you had the ark, but you also had your sin. And here's the secret to success and victory. You've got to have the presence of God in the absence of sin. And they said on this day, yes, sir. And they put away their sin. They did what God had told them to do. So now what's going to happen? There's going to be a third battle. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, verse 5. And I will pray for you unto the Lord. 
And what a blessing it is to have a godly man that prays. I will pray for you unto the Lord. I hope this is a praying church. I hope you have a praying family. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. We read verse 7. Hey, the Philistines are not afraid of God's people. They're like, we'll fight you again. No problem. The Philistines had already gone up against them. When they didn't have the ark, we beat you. We went against you when you had the presence of God. We heard all your shouting. We were nervous, but we beat you when you had your God. So we'll fight you again. And here's battle number three. Philistines, man, they're just ready to go. But things have changed for God's people. First battle, no presence. Second battle, presence of God and presence of sin. But the third battle, presence of God and the absence of sin. And it's the Israelites who are afraid this time. They're quiet. Can I tell you, sometimes it's healthy to be afraid. They're fasting. They're praying. You ever felt a little weak? It's not always a bad thing. And so God's people here are, are, are praying. And they're saying, Samuel, pray for us. And we need you. Verse 8, and the children of Israel said to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. It's in time of weakness that we know how much we need God. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 said this, My strength is made perfect in weakness. My father has often said to me, A defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you proud. And God's people were a very humble place. In my life, I like to say it this way, I'd rather have a victory and stay humble then need a defeat to make me humble. But here they are, they're very humbled. And notice what happens. And Samuel took a sucking lamb, verse 8, and offered it for a burnt offering, holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And I have this underlined in my Bible, and the Lord heard him. Now I have a little note in my margin. I need the Lord to hear me too. Oh, I hope there's moms praying for their family interceding like Samuel. I hope there's dads interceding. I hope there's Sunday school teachers interceding for a victory in the lives of the people that you love and pastors interceding to God. What a blessing it was to have Samuel praying and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. And I guarantee you, they swaggered, man. Again, back to the sports analogy. When you've beaten a team twice in this season, you're like, we got you a third time. So here they come. Yeah, you didn't have your God. Then you did have your God. Doesn't matter to us. We're going to take you out again. 
And here they come to battle. But notice it's different now. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day. Man, I love that verse. The Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day. Now God is fighting their battles. Now it's God that's making some noise. You remember, hey, when they brought the ark, they were shouting and and the people were making noise. But God's hand wasn't on them. Now it's God making noise. Cleveland Baptist Church, you know what? This area needs God to thunder for you, God to make noise for you, God to do a work for you. Not for us just to be making a bunch of noise without truly his presence here. And now it is God thundering for these people and God fighting their battles. And presence and absence took them from them just making noise, God's people making noise, to God making noise. Look, if you would, verse 10. The Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. That word means defeated them, perplexed them. And they were smitten before Israel. What an awesome thing. The way it's supposed to be. God's people having the victory. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer. That word Ebenezer means a stone of help. Notice here, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Here it is. It's a new day. Now they have victory. Now they have this monument. And for years to come, when people would ask, why is this monument here? They would say, this is the day that God thundered for us. This is the day that God gave us a victory and perplexed the adversary. And Samuel, by the way, one person makes a difference. Says as long as Samuel was here, as long as Samuel was praying There was victory for the people of God. Samuel was a praying man. Grandma, Grandpa, you make a difference. Parents, you make a difference. Are you doing your part to help your family avoid defeat? To live victoriously? We're going to conclude this sermon. Here's what it is. Church, Family Emphasis Sunday. How are we going to make it? Well, if we don't have the presence of God, we're done. But hear me. If we have presence and presence, presence of God and presence of sin, we're done. But if we'll have presence and absence, listen to me. If God be for us, who can be against us? We will live in victory. So here's the question. Do you have the presence of God in your life? Is God present in your life? We're living in troublesome days. How many would say amen to that? 
I see the little ones being born and being brought up in this day and age, and frankly, it saddens me. God desires, as the psalmist said, to be our very present help in time of trouble. But in order for God to be a present help in your life, listen, he's got to be present in your life, and he wants to be. And no, you're not supposed to get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into your home. No, 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 no. God's presence in your life is not centered around an Ark, but God's presence is centered around the amount of time you spend in this book and on your knees. So let me ask you, is God present in your life? How much time did you talk to him this week? How much time did you spend in his word this week? There was a Christian man that lived on the highway near our home and he had a sign out front that always spoke to my heart. It said this, God is waiting to be wanted. Is God present in your home? How were family devotions last week? How were your devotions last week? How's your church attendance? Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Moses was handing off the lead to Joshua, and Joshua said, how are we going to be successful? How are we going to have victory? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We don't have to live in fear if we'll follow the word of God. Psalm 1, I love it. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Watch. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Victory. Are you aware of your need for God in your marriage? Husband and wives, are you praying together? Families, are you praying together? It's amazing. We put the plaque on the wall. Families that pray together stay together, and we don't pray together. Statistically, look at the numbers. It's very few. Children, do you know that you need God? You realize you need him in your finances, men, in your spiritual life. We need God in every area of life. We would be wise not to need a defeat to remind us that we need the presence of God. We'd be wise to believe Jesus in John 15 and verse number five when he said this, for without me, ye can do nothing. Do you really believe that? If you believe that, you'll know that you need him. How's your personal walk with God? How are you leading your family to have the presence of God in your life? And then we also need the absence of sin, and we're done. Their sin in this story was the sin of idolatry. You say, Mike, what's an idol? Something that you put in front of God. Something that becomes a little g God in your life. And you're like, Our, ours isn't tonight. I don't think there's one person here bowing down to Baal or Ashtaroth. Oh, but listen, 
There could be many of us that have something that is being put in front of God in our life. Is your sin the love of money? Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to show you. I, I don't know. Is it something that you're doing or not doing? Something that you're thinking? Is it pride? Is it bitterness? Unforgiveness? I don't know. Something that you're saying, there's a whole chapter in James about the tongue. Could it be the things you say or your temper that gets you in trouble? Maybe on that internet over here on, on this, something we're viewing. Or on the televisions at home. We hear about this all the time. By the way, can I just encourage parents, beware. Call 100 youth pastors across this nation and say, sir, would you just please send me your number one problem with youth today? What you think is damaging more than any other? Pastor Pete, I believe you'd probably get 90 that would go right here. I'm just telling you, be careful. There's a devil. There's an adversary. And this isn't just for the teens. This is for adults. So maybe it's something we're, we're listening to or hearing. Could be something you're drinking, something you're smoking. I don't know. Again, what are you putting before God? A person, a hobby, dollar bills. I, I don't know, but I do know this. James chapter one and verse 15. And like we said, God's word always comes to pass. The Bible says sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And I hope inwardly you don't have that eye roll and no one's giving me that at all. Here we go, preaching against sin. Watch me, sin is not your friend. Sin is a cancer. The, the, the more quickly we deal with it, the better off we are. And for a while, watch me, we can't always see the effects of it. Oh, but you listen to me, God's word always come to pass. I'm doing okay with presence in presence. You're not going to be okay long. I promise you, God's word, he said this, it bringeth forth death. It will kill your reputation. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your joy. It'll kill relationships. Hey, sin will destroy your children's future. I love my family. I believe that. And if you do, I beg you, have the absence of sin in your home. Because it's destructive. Do you believe that? It always results in defeat. Do you understand sin is killing the church? Do you hear me, Cleveland Baptist Church? Sin is killing the church. You say, this church? Well, well maybe. But when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church as we know it. You drive down these streets and, and there's churches everywhere. And this is not to say that, that you or we are better than anyone but you know what's common and accepted today in our churches? Presence and presence. You know what, no doubt, Pastor Folger and Pastor Pete have heard many times, we're going to go down the church where it's okay to do this. Folks, listen to me. It's not the church that determines what's okay or what's not okay. It's the Word of God that determines what is okay and what's not okay. And you may go to a church that says, well, in our church, it's okay, but watch me. 
Presence and presence will always wind up in defeat. And for a while, it may look like it's going fine, but it will not end up fine when it is finished. Every work, every week in our churches, watch me, people gather. Look at me, and this is where it's at. People gather and they worship and they shout. Just like in our story, we have God. We have God. Oh, we've got the presence of God, and I am for worship. Worship is wonderful. The largest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. David said, I will praise and I will worship. And there's nothing wrong, everything right about praising and worshiping God. But you listen to me. The churches that are our new churches of the day, this is their motto. And this is what they're selling to our young people and to our to our to the people in the community. Hey, watch me. Just come and shout with us and worship with God with us. And we have the presence of God. And we also have, watch me, the presence of sin. And it, we don't we don't ruffle feathers and we won't offend you. And it's just a beautiful thing. And this is just how we are today. You watch me and it will destroy our nation because that ends in defeat. Just like in this story. And I am not being ugly or throwing stones at anybody that's a little bit different than us. But you listen to me, when you tolerate sin in your home and you tolerate sin in your family and you tolerate sin in your church, watch me, it will bring forth death. And America's in trouble. And our churches are in trouble. Oh, but we're worshiping God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got your sin. By the way, if you want an interesting read, read Amos chapter 5. In about verses 21 to 27, Pastor Pete, in that passage, it says they're worshiping God and they're singing to God. And God says this in response to them. I hate the noise of your songs. Whoa, 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 whoa. He hated their songs. And you know why he points out? Because you're singing to me, but you've got sin in your life. And I'm not interested in that. Someone else would look and go, oh, look at that guy. He wrote that song. Surely he's a Christian. Surely he loves the Lord. Look at that. He's singing for the Lord. But there's other things when you look at their life and their social media and and, and how they dress and how they act. And you're like, but it doesn't add up. They don't look like a Christian, but they're singing about Jesus. So I guess it's okay. Watch me. Read the book of Amos. God says it's not okay. Sing about me all day long. When there's presence and presence, I'm not there. I'm lifting my hand off of it. But to everybody else, it looks okay. Hey, don't be fooled, church. Don't be fooled, Christian. God requires, in order to have victory, presence and absence. You understand America was built on presence and absence. You have been blessed to live in a nation. Honestly, not all of our forefathers were Christians. Study their morals, study their character. They knew, go to Washington and read the scripture all over the monuments and buildings. They knew we need God. And they also knew this, we better not be a nation that's sinful and wicked. And I believe this, God smiled on our nation. Because I'm telling you, you can see it, we were built on the presence of God and the absence of sin. We were godly people that tried to do right. And now you know what we've become? A nation, watch, that has absence of God and presence of sin. We are the opposite of what we started. And that's trouble. You say, what is that? That's defeat. It's just a matter of time if that thing does not reverse. 
What about your life? What about your home? Is God present at all? First battle. He wasn't. They lost 4,000. Mike, we go to church every week. We do this. We do that. But is it or could it be presence and presence? Because I'm telling you, you're going to lose your kids. You're going to lose your marriage. You're going to, it, God, he, he will not give victory there. Victory comes when it's presence and absence. Probably the most popular revival verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14. You say, well, what does that verse say? It says presence and absence. That's what it says. If my people, right? You know it? Which are called by my name. Shall humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. Presence. My people will desire my presence and turn from their wicked way. Absence. Then will I hear from heaven. Will forgive their sin. Will heal their land. Second Chronicles seven fourteen is all about presence and absence, and God has always been about presence and absence. And church, listen to me, if you say, here it is, family day. What's the future of Cleveland Baptist Church? What's the future of my family? What's the future of my life? I guarantee you, victory if you have presence and absence. But if God's not present in your home, it's defeat. If God is present and sin, presence and presence, it's defeat. 30,000 died. But if we'll go... With God's help, we're going to walk with Him. We're going to be in the Word. We're going to be in church. And with God's help, we're going to pray and say, Lord, anything in our lives or in our homes that does not please You, we want it to be absent, eliminated, taken out. And watch me, that's not a fun spoiler. No, 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 no. That's not, we can't have a good time. There's nothing about that. Cavities get worse. Cancer gets worse. Sin gets worse. Having the absence of sin, sin removed from our home, watch me, that's a wonderful thing. That's a healing thing. Why'd we lose? No presence. Why'd we lose again? Presence and presence. Samuel says, come here, sit down. Let me tell you. You want victory? Presence and absence. And they said, we'll do it. And they were victorious. That's what we want for our homes. That's what we want for our church. That's what we need for this nation. God help us to have his presence and the absence of sin as we live out our days. Father, we